I was born in Nambour. And uh, well, I, say, I say Noosa, but technically it was Nambour. And, uh, and I was raised actually in Noosa. Then moved to the United States of America with my family when I was younger. Moved back to Brisbane. Was in Brisbane. Finished my schooling in Brisbane. Started working for our church when I was 19. Worked there for 13 years. Moved to Africa for the past four years. Preaching the gospel in the nations of Africa and the world. I've been blessed and privileged to preach the gospel in over 26 nations of the world. And one thing that I have seen in every culture and every context is that we serve a God of miracles and the supernatural. Culture doesn't limit it. Language doesn't stop it. Because the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in every culture and every context. And even when there's not a word to be understood, there's a divine grace, there's a divine supernatural power that comes in Jesus that transforms people's lives, redeems people's souls, heals people's bodies, heals people's minds, and I absolutely love it. I'm always very thankful to be able to come to a church where they ask if we can go into a night of miracles and the supernatural. Because some places I kind of have to weave it in and hopefully the senior pastors get a touch of the power of God, then they want it later. But you guys have senior pastors who are like, let's go for it. And, uh, and so, so tonight I don't want to take up too much time with my talking because one problem of preachers is we love our own, the sound of our own voice too much. And uh, I, w- I want to open up with a passage of scripture here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1, and this is what it says. It says, And I, brethren, this is, speak, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul was, he's the original ISIS. <laughs> he, he's, the, he's the original Christian killer. Paul's job was to lay down his code of authority to give the order that Christians be stoned and killed. Paul's job was to chase down Jesus-following people and either arrest them or kill them until one day he had a divine encounter with the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. And his life was transformed. The Apostle Paul now is writer of roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, potentially the greatest mind to ever exist in all of human history. That's the Apostle Paul, who we're talking about. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul was not a fool. The Apostle Paul was not like the other apostles whom were just lay fishermen and, 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 and people. The Apostle Paul was extremely intelligent. The Bible goes on to talk to us about the Apostle Paul 
being a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, meaning he was an elite in his area. He knew the scriptures back to front. He goes on to talk how basically he was blameless in their culture. He was an elitist. Paul was the top of the top of the religious folk, and he comes to us after being touched by the power of God, after spreading the gospel, after being persecuted, after being stoned, after being having all sorts of outrageous things happen to him. And he comes and he says to, the, says to us through the scripture, I don't come to you with persuasive words of human wisdom. He's not saying there's not wisdom. In fact, the scripture goes on to teach that there is a wisdom. It's just not the wisdom of the world. It's, not just the, it's, just, it's just not the wisdom that we find in humanity. It's a wisdom that can only be found in the Holy Spirit. But Paul comes and he says, I'm not going to come and try to persuade you with fancy words of human wisdom today. But he says, I want to come with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. Tonight, our assignment is to have a divine encounter with the presence of Almighty God, to have a divine demonstration manifest tonight because of the power and the person and the presence of Jesus Christ poured out through His Holy Spirit. Tonight, we are going to believe for mighty miracles in this place. Tonight, we're going to believe for mighty miracles in the mind of people tonight. Tonight we're going to believe for a mighty tangible encounter with the presence of God that each person may respond differently to, but whatever that response is, we're believing for a divine demonstration from heaven tonight. Is anybody expecting for an encounter with heaven tonight? Are you hungry for His presence? Can I tell you we need His presence? Can I tell you, we've always needed His presence, but if anything has told us the last 80 months, we really need His presence. I mean, I really need it. I don't know about you, but I am like, God, I need your presence. See, the truth of the matter is there's an old revivalist, and he once said this, the reason we're not seeing revival is because we're too content living without it. And the shaking of culture, the shaking in the nations, the shaking on social media, the shaking in the news, the shaking of the virus, the shaking of all of the above has shaken us out of our comfort zones and has put us back in a place. People have had the carpet ripped out from underneath them. Our earthly securities are not holding us together like they were 18 months ago. We realize that things are shaky, that in 18 months the whole world can be transformed. Do you realize if in 18 months the world can be turned upside down by a virus, by some liars in media stations, do you realize if it only takes 18 months for the world to be shaken for evil, that it can be shaken for good just the same way? It's time we get a little bit uncomfortable and realize that our world, our nation, the Sunshine Coast, needs a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to just come with human wisdom, but we need a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of the government, that your faith would not be in the wisdom of a president or a prime minister or a politician or a preacher, that your faith would be in the power of Almighty God. God. His name is Jesus. There's none like him. He's the great I am. And the good news is he's in the room tonight. 
This is where two or three are gathered. There I am in their midst. He's in the room tonight. I believe if we want to see a move of God that we want to see in the nations and in our world and our family, there's three things that are, I won't say the key to revival, but I believe pivotal in revival. Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 gives us an insight from Jesus, the Lord, who is God in how to pray. And he says this, he says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great and mighty is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus instructed us to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, you are great in all the earth. Great and mighty is your name. All powerful is your name. And he said, pray that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is the king's dominion, the king's domain. And he's saying, pray that heaven would invade earth. In heaven there is no sickness. In heaven there is no disease. In heaven there is no trauma. In heaven there is no pain. There is no shame. There is no guilt. In heaven there is, there, is, there is nothing that causes us grief in heaven. And God, Jesus says, pray my kingdom come. He's not saying wait till you get to heaven. He's saying pray heaven comes here. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Number one, I think we're supposed to do is to pray the kingdom of God. Pray in the kingdom of God. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second thing that I see we should do is in Mark 16, and it says, or, or Matthew chapter 18, it's the two great commissions. And Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom to all creation. Number one, I think we're supposed to pray in the kingdom. Number two, we're supposed to preach the kingdom. That the kingdom of God has arrived. That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what that means? It means it's within reach. It's available. The kingdom of heaven. We're to preach the good news of God's kingdom's arrival. That heaven is invading earth. We're to pray it in and we're to preach it in, but it goes on to say, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever is believed and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them who believe. They will heal the sick. They will drive out demons. They will speak in other tongues. They will handle snakes and drink poison, but I'll let Pastor John talk about those two another week. But we're to pray in the kingdom of God. We're to preach the kingdom of God. And we're to demonstrate the kingdom of God. It goes on in the book of Mark. It says that these signs will follow them who believe. They'll preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, speak in other tongues. And it goes that these signs will follow, then they will confirm the word that we preach. We're to dem it's not, we don't just serve a God in heaven who's distant and, and, and unavailable. 
but we serve a God who is real and He's available and He's extending His power through His people who would believe enough to see His power manifest. Can I tell you, we need a mighty move of God's Spirit because who knows the wisdom of man is not working out. We need a demonstration, a divine demonstration. I remember I was in Phoenix, Arizona, back in the day when you could travel. And uh, I don't know if you've been to Phoenix, Arizona, but it's an odd place. It's beautiful, but it's odd. There's a place called Scottsdale. It's absolutely stunning, but you walk into the city, and there's a lot of crazy people walking around. I don't know why. Maybe they have a lot of desert parties out there. And, uh, and I, I went to this great church there, and I, I was my first time there, and I, I opened up the Bible to read and preach in the, the first service, and it was good, and I did a good job. I preached some good message, and, you know, God moved. Some people got saved, and some people got healed, and it was, it was great. It came to the second service, and I opened my Bible, and I began, my, my, my iPad, and I began to preach, and I was about two minutes into my sermon, and I felt the Lord say this to me. I felt him say, Joel, shh, stop talking so much. And so now, I mean, this is all happening in like very fast time. But now my, I have a problem. I, I feel like he said to me, I want you to demonstrate my power and then go on to preach. But the problem is I was new to this church. It was a new relationship. They'd asked me there to come preach, not just pray for people. And so I began to continue my message, and I felt the Lord say, shh. And so I stopped, the, I stopped for a moment. I stopped to obey what I felt the Lord was telling me to do. You see, because I believe this. Too many people are educated beyond their point of obedience. We're so full. We've got so much access to information. We've and believe me, if it was a different night, I'd preach a whole message on how we can't live apart from the Word of God, that the Word of God is our rock, the Word of God is our foundation for everything, that our encounters must line up with the Word of God, and if they don't line up with the Word of God, we get a... T- There's... But I felt the Lord say, too many people are educated beyond their point of obedience. I can know all the wisdom of Scripture, if I can't obey His voice, then what good is it? And I felt him hush me, and and I felt him say that there are people that need a touch from God, a refreshment touch of the Holy Spirit. And so before I continued on with my message, I said, there are people here tonight that you need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. I said, whoever that is, just come forward real quickly. I want to pray with you, and then I'm going to continue on with my message. About seven people made their way down the front, and we just, I just prayed for them quickly, and the power of God touched each one of them. A couple of them thought it would be appropriate to fall over and sleep in the service. I thought it was rude. <laughs> but the power of God touched them. The next thing you know, people were streaming out of their aisles for the next hour and a half. I didn't preach another word of my sermon, but the people streamed out, and the power of God moved so mightily in such a powerful way for the next hour and a half because they didn't need the wisdom of a man, but they were desperate for a divine demonstration of heaven as people were saved, people were healed, people were delivered. The good news is is that that night I came back for their evening service and they explained to me in the car on the way there that, you know, they kind of wish that they didn't have me doing this service. It's their smallest service. There's not going to be very many people there. And the truth is, 
I like preaching to the masses, but if you put me in front of whoever, I'm going to preach the gospel because it's what I'm called and commissioned to do. I'm not phased by the amount of people in front of me. I've preached in stadiums of 10,000. I've preached to a group of Africans in the middle of the bush that don't even speak English. I've never seen white people in about 10 of them. The gospel needs to be preached. God's no respecter of persons. and He's definitely no respecter of crowd size. But as we arrived back to the service that night, we landed and this, the pastor looked at me and said, I don't know what's going on, but that night, that service was about 10 times larger than it had been in many, many, many years. Because people had heard, people had watched and seen what God did that morning, and people came out because they were hungry, they were desperate for a touch of God. They didn't come to hear the wisdom of a man, but they came for a divine demonstration of the power of God. That night, many were healed. That night, many were saved. But Monday morning, we woke up, sorry, Tuesday morning, when I was about to fly out to the next city, we woke up to a very special message. You see, what had happened was that morning, there was a a lady there, and she saw what God did. And she was so riveted, so excited to see that God was moving, that the power of God was being made manifest. So she went and got her grandson and forced him to come to church that night. The reason she forced him to come to church that night was because he was 16 years old and he was dying of a disease called polycythemia, which is a slow-growing blood cancer at the age of 16. I don't remember praying for him that night because there was a multitude of people that were being prayed for. But what I do know is that on Tuesday morning, the pastor posted a photo of this grandma and her young boy, and they began to testify that they brought the young boy Sunday night to experience the power of God. They were so convinced that God had done something, they forced an appointment on Monday to go and get his blood tested, and they were able to testify that they could not find a trace of cancer anywhere in that boy's blood. Now the skeptic like me would say, well, that's probably just a coincidence. But I think we give far too much credence to coincidence. The boy walked in with cancer in his blood. Two days later, the doctors couldn't find a trace. Can I tell you what's greater than sickness? His name is Jesus. I I flew out to my next destination in Colorado, and I began telling, as I began to preach, I began telling the testimony that I had just received of this young boy who had been healed. As they opened up the altar for God to do some mighty work in that service, a gentleman of the age of about 60 came forward. He said, I have that exact same blood cancer. So I said, well, I have that exact same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. So we laid our hands upon the man. He fell to the floor, shaken like a leaf. Now, you don't have to fall to the floor and shake like a leaf to get healed. That's just what he did. But this man woke up. He went to the doctors two days later. That was on Tuesday. On Thursday, he posted up onto the wonderful wide world of social media. He said, I went to my doctor. They searched my blood. They scanned my body. And there was not a trace of cancer to be found. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise. Listen, I I know there are some people in this room by the sound of your cheering and clapping that believe this stuff is real. 
I'm also well aware there's probably some people in the room who are thinking, I don't know about this. I was that person for a very long time. I was that person that said God does miracles through the doctors these days. That's just how he does it now. I don't have a problem with doctors. I'm thankful for doctors, especially ones that are getting baptized into the power and family of God. But just because they're a good doctors doesn't mean we don't have a greater Jesus. So I, I, I want to tell you, I can sympathize with your position of curiosity and the concerns about crazy charismatics who have all sorts of profession, things that they say that you might not believe. But can I tell you this? Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not real. And tonight we're going to have a divine demonstration. Not to make me look good, not to back up my stories, but because the compassion and the grace and the mercy of God is in the room. Not to make me feel good, not to make Pastor John feel good, but because when cancer is healed, it glorifies the name of Jesus. You see, at that church that night, the pastor came and we were speaking and he was so excited about God moving, people getting healed. But he came to me with a concern. He said, Joel, there's a church down the road and they're growing rapidly. They're, they're moving, you know, people are coming in by the droves and we're not growing that fast, but we're really going after the things of the Spirit. And he asked my advice because the difference was this church is what would be considered it's a, a phrase called the seeker-sensitive church. Now, I'm careful because I, I, I think that I don't, you may or may not know what that is, but there are a lot of churches lumped into this category, which I don't believe belong in that category. But ultimately, a seeker-sensitive church in its full extent is a church that holds back certain truths of the Scripture, holds back certain conversations about the power of the Spirit and, and the saving power of Jesus to make it more comfortable for people who come in. So the intention is pure. The intention is good. It's to try and make it a safer place for you to bring your new friends. But in that, there can be sometimes withholding of some great truths of the Scripture. Now, I responded slowly because I, I think it's foolish to give answers to questions that you don't know. And I was asked, what do I think they should do? And do I think that this church is doing the right thing? And this is what I felt the Lord say to me, and I said to this pastor straight away, I said, listen, I don't know that church, and I'm not going to speak badly about any part of the bride of Christ. But I felt the Lord say this to me. I felt the Lord say that God is not looking for a seeker-sensitive church. He's looking for a sinner-sensitive church, which felt good, and then I was like, what does that even mean, God? Because we live in like the age of one-liners where you say things and it rhymes and rolls off the tongue and everyone's like, good point. And then you're like, but what did it actually mean? Like, I don't actually know, but it sounded good. He had some veins going and it was like, it was on like a reel and a t it was good. And I, so I said to God, I said, what does that even mean? And the musicians, you guys can come. He said, what's the most attractive thing to a prisoner. It's freedom. And I said, what's the most attractive thing to a prisoner? I said, Lord, it's freedom. And he said, again, this happens very quickly. This is like, because I'm in a conversation. It sort of comes as I open my mouth. And I said, God, what does that look like? And he said, you can have a prisoner 
in a prison cell. And you can put in that prison cell a double-sized bed. And it can be the most comfortable bed you've ever laid on. And, and it can be amazing. He said, but that person will be comfortable, but they're still a prisoner. God likes to elaborate for those who aren't so switched on. And he said, you can put a TV. I was in America, so I was like, you can put like a 300-inch TV on the wall. With every single app, Netflix, Disney, whatever, you can fill that thing up. And a prisoner can be comfortable, and they can be entertained, but they're still a prisoner. He said, you can lay out the best breakfast buffet every morning. They can be comfortable, entertained. Their stomach can be full and satisfied. But what's the most attractive thing to a prisoner? He said, you can knock down, I told you, he kept working on me. He said, you can knock down the, the cell wall, give them a double-sized cell, their own private bathroom. They can have their own privacy. They can be safe. They can be comfortable. They can be entertained. And they can be satisfied. But they're still a prisoner. Yeah. I felt the Lord say, I'm looking for a sinner-sensitive church because the man who's demon, demonically possessed doesn't need you to be relevant. He needs you to be radical. He doesn't need you just to keep him comfortable. He needs you to help him be set free from the demonic oppression. The man who walks in with cancer doesn't just need it to be comfortable. He needs a people that believe in a divine demonstration that cancer is no match for the name above every name. The name of Jesus Christ. He is the healer. He is the savior. And he is the deliverer. I pray for the church of 2021 that we never become so safe that nobody gets set free. We serve Almighty. There are some Christians who think that the power of God to heal stopped with the apostles. The problem is the apostles stopped, but Jesus didn't. The apostles ceased, but the Holy Spirit is alive and He's active. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and He lives in you. I spent years cautious about the power of God to heal because the truth is sometimes there's disappointment. Sometimes we don't see the instant miracle like we would like, and I wish we would, and I believe we can, but the truth is that we don't always see it. But the, the, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. So we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by feeling. We walk by faith and not by testimony. We walk by faith and not by experience. We walk by faith in the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I remember a, a lady, she, she came to a meeting that it was a women's conference. I wasn't speaking, I was just at my church and they opened up the altar for healing and I came forward and she walked right up to me and she was there with her daughter and I said, ma'am, what can I do for you today? She said, the truth is, I don't even want to be here. My daughter's made me come. 
I said, okay. Well, you're here now. How can I help? She began to explain how she has this spinal issue for the last however many years. I think it was 12 years of her life. She said, I've chased down healing evangelists. I've been to healing meetings. I've been to tent crusades. I've, I've done this, and I've never been healed. She's like, so I, I don't even really care. And I looked at her and I, my heart broke and I, I had compassion because the truth is I can't squeeze out a miracle just because I want to. Yeah. But I felt the Lord speak to my heart and said, tell her that she's going to be healed today. And I said, ma'am, I believe God's going to heal you today. Yeah. And she looked at me with zero faith in her eyes, <laughs> zero hope, and was like basically saying, I've been here before. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. Do you mind? And she said, no. And I, so I got her daughter to pray with me. And we prayed in the name of Jesus. put my hand on her back. I didn't tell you the story. Her back was so bad that it, whenever she slipped the disc, it would put her in bed for months at a time, sometimes up to 18 months. The last time it had happened before this meeting, she'd just been in bed for three months, unable to move, for 12 years. So I put my hand on her back, and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. You see, it's a simple prayer because the Bible doesn't say those who can pray really fancy will see the sick healed. It doesn't say those who speak in other tongues will see the sick healed. It says those who believe will see the sick healed. And so I just command, I take authority, I position my heart in a place of authority, the authority of Jesus, not the authority of a man. I can't heal the sick, Jesus can. And we say, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I speak to this back and I say, be healed right now. And I looked at her and said, how's it feel? She said, it's the same. I said, all right, I'm going to pray again. So we prayed again in the name of Jesus. Back, be healed. I said, how about now? She said, it feels exactly the same. And I said, I'm going to pray one more time. And I believe God's going to heal you. So we prayed one more time, put my hand on her back. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, back, be healed. And I opened my eyes and I looked at her. And I said, what's the most painful thing you can do? She said, walk upstairs. And I said, well, there's five right there. And I put my hand out and said, would you just come for a quick walk with me? She took her by the hand and we went over to the stairs. She took a step. One, two, three, four. She got on the top of the platform and she turned around and looked at me. I was on the ground there with tears streaming down her face as the power of God, the presence of God, the love of God was poured out. And her back was totally healed. You see, when someone gets healed after years of disappointment, after years of pain, it's a beautiful picture. It's the love of God being expressed through the power of God. But I said that this is what I know from years now of praying for people. Is that in a moment like that, our bodies have a great gift called adrenaline. Right? And adrenaline is this thing in our body that can override pain in our body. That's a real thing. Is that a real thing? That's a real thing. And so I'm aware of that. I, I'm also aware that in an environment like that, sometimes the person can feel bad to tell me that they're not healed because they don't want to make me feel silly. It's out of a genuine place. They don't want to, so they're like, yeah, I'm healed. I, I know these things happen. I, I've seen it happen. I've had it happen to me. But I'm not afraid of that stuff. 
So six months later, I messaged the, the daughter. I mean, I saw the daughter. Her mother lived far away. And I said, how's your mother going? Six months later, she said, she's unreal. She goes to the gym every day. She does Pilates. Come on, somebody. We serve a God of miracles. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'll say it again. I pray that the church of Jesus Christ never becomes so safe that nobody gets set free. I want it to look good. I want there to be good food. I love the air con. I want it to be comfortable, but don't let them lie in their comfort, crippled in comfort. Invoke the name of Jesus. Bring in the power of God. Then they can be comfortable, entertained, satisfied, but they can be free. Somebody praise Him. Because the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on, somebody cry out. Freedom.